If you haven't already, go ahead and turn in your Bibles. We're going to be continuing our series in Philippians. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 3. And while we're turning there, um, yeah, like, like everyone was saying, uh, I am not Dave. Um, he's a little bit taller than me. Uh, he's currently out. He's got uh, some excuse of a son graduating college or something. I, I'm not sure. So uh, well, no, we're celebrating that. Uh, I always like to tease him. I said, you're really going to see your granddaughter, aren't you? And he said, no, this one's about the son. I said, so you're not going to see your granddaughter? He said, now let's not be silly here. I'm gonna... he'll, he'll, he'll talk about his Ava for sure. No. Um, and, and let me be just the next person to say, uh, I think at this point in the 9 o'clock service, we had had more people up on stage. We had like nine Happy Mother's Day, so I, we, I need to catch up, bring the pace up. Happy Mother's Day to, to those mothers out there. Whether or not today is a day of big celebration or maybe one that's hard, you know, we just want to say that here at Grace, you are cared for, you are prayed for, and, and you're appreciated for the work that you do here. You know, we, we have a couple of kiddos uh, in the back right now in, in Grace Kids, and, and they're receiving the the care and the benefits of physical parenting. I mean, if, if a diaper needs to be changed or a need is met, you know, they're able to take care of our kiddos. But like we were saying earlier, like Chris was saying, we, we believe in this idea of spiritual parenting, of spiritual mothering. And so much more important than those, those physical needs or those immediate concerns is telling these kids about Jesus and telling them how he's the hero of the story. He's the one that we're here to worship. So Again, if you're part of that ministry or if, if you're just part of this community that is helping to raise my kids, these other kids here, I just want to say thank you so much and, and happy Mother's Day to you all. So um, like I said, we're going to be continuing our study in Philippians chapter 3. And, and throughout the last several weeks, Dave has brought together this big idea of risk everything, of risking everything as we run towards Jesus. And, and when we say risk, when we're willing to say, you know what, God, I, I've encountered you, I've experienced your presence, experienced your glory, and I'm able to let go of these things that used to be so important to me. I'm, I'm able to say that my, my comfort, my pleasure, my, my ambitions, all these other things, I, I can be willing to let go of those because I want to run after you. I want to chase after you with everything that I've got. Last week, Dave gave a really good image of, of running a race in high school, of running, a, I think it was the 110-meter hurdles at, at a track meet, and he's saying, you know what, you, you don't stop after each individual hurdle and celebrate as you're running that race. You say, no, I've got to keep on going. I've got my, my eye on the prize, the, the finish line, and, and this, this whole image just pervades the idea in Philippians of Jesus is at the finish line. That's who we're running for. That's who we're straining after, and that's why we're willing to risk everything. So today's passage, uh, it'll be starting in verse 17, I believe, um, is really kind of a continuation of what we studied last week. Verses 12 to 21 could very easily be one section. We, we chose to preach two sermons on those. And so this is really offering some good application for the truths that we first experienced in verses 12 through 16. And, and, and as I was working through the text this week, as I was kind of studying and preparing and praying, I kept coming back to this image of walking. I know that's a little weird because we just talked about running a race, but Paul's going to use the word walk here a couple times, and it just kept coming back to me, this idea of walking the well-traveled path. So that's going to be our big idea, walk the well-traveled path. Now, if any of your ears perked up, yes, that is an intentional play on words. Um, has anyone, just a show of hands, has anyone here ever heard of a guy named Robert Frost? Any? Okay, yeah, a few, good. All right. So uh, for those who don't know, Robert Frost is uh, a writer, a poet. I think he was in the 1800s, uh, that sounds about right. He wrote one of the most famous poems in all of American history called 
The Road Not Traveled. It's a pretty familiar story where someone's walking through the woods and they encounter a, a fork or a bend in the woods, and, and it's all about the decision, which one to take. Is it, do I take the one that it seems like everyone's gone down and, and you know, it's the well-beaten path, it's probably the safer one, or do I go down this one where I don't really know the result, I don't, I don't know the end, it doesn't look as secure. And so he ends it with these beautiful words. He says, two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. Those are beautiful words if you think about it. But what I worry is, is that today in, in our kind of modern individualistic society, we, it's given root to this idea that's called expressive individualism. And what I mean by that is it's this idea of I'm going to blaze my own trail. No one's ever been there before. I'm going to define my own truth, and I'm going to be the hero of my own story. But what today's passage and what Philippians and what the Bible says is that runs counter to what the biblical story is. We're not the heroes of the story. We're, we're the bad guys. We're, we're the villains. We're the problem that needs to be fixed. We're the ones that need to be rescued. Jesus is that rescuer. And a part of that rescue is saying, okay, now that I've been rescued, how do I, how do I live out the days that you've given me, God? How do, I, how do I walk this path that you've placed in front of me? And, and, and I also just want to say, I want to give one caution before we start diving into the text. This text, these, these verses, along with several others in the New Testament, are some that you know, Jesus-loving, Bible-believing Christians use in a way that I would kind of disagree with. It's, a, it's saying, you know what? We just need to withdraw from the world. We need to not engage with it. We've got our kingdom. They've got theirs, and we're just going to let them run their path and not really ever intersect. I, I don't think that that's what Paul is trying to get across here. I think he's going to show that this is an emotional topic for him. This is, this is something that should soften our hearts, should even break our hearts for those who don't know Jesus. This, this is something that should stir us on to mission, to sharing our faith with those who don't yet know him. And, and one last reminder as we study this text is to remember, there are going to be some harsh words here for people who aren't following Jesus. Don't think you're above that. Don't think you've, you're, you know, you've graduated beyond these temptations. Okay, um, John Bradford wrote some, or said something about 500 years ago in the 1600s. He was watching a bunch of uh, prisoners being taken off to be executed by, I think, the English crown. Um, and, there, and he said a famous line. He said, there, but for the grace of God, go I. We need to remember that every step that we walk on this well-traveled path is because we have the grace of Jesus. It's not due to our own ability. It's not due to our own goodness. It's because of the greatness of our Savior. So I'm going to uh, dive into our word in just a second, but first, I think it's always good. Let's open in prayer, and then we'll start studying God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this time to, to be in your word. Um, God, you've told us that your word does not return to you um, void or, or unprofitable. So God, I just pray to, to be a continuation of that idea. I pray that I get out of the way and let your Holy Spirit speak powerfully to your people. God, this is your message, not ours. Uh, but God, we pray that we are, we are shaped and we are, we are driven to, to new ways that we can love and live out a life of, of walking with you in obedience and in joy. So God, I, our ultimate goal is just we want to leave today more in love with you than when we first started. So God, we love you. We trust you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so uh, I'm going to start picking apart the verses here in just a second, but I think it's always good. Let's just read God's Word together, and then we'll start working through it. So starting in Philippians 3, verse 17. Brothers, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many, of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, 
walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. All right, so right out of the gate, what do we see here starting in that first verse? We see Paul saying, do as I do, right? And, and if you're like me, it probably made you think a little bit. That's, that's not what we're used to hearing. In, in today's age, we're hearing more of do what I say, not what I do, right? This is running a little bit counter. But Paul is saying, no, do what I do. So our first big idea is called imitate the godly. Imitate those godly men and women that God has placed around us. Now, again, we're used to hearing do what I say, but not what I do. Why is that? It's because I think even if we look into ourselves or do some self-introspection, we're able to realize that I can say that, hey, this is a good thing, but I also realize I can't hold myself to that. I'm going to fall short. So just hold on to the ideal, but don't look to me as an example because I'm going to disappoint you. And, but Paul has already established that he is, doing, he is walking in faithfulness. He, he is walking that well-traveled path. He is a godly man, and it's okay for us to say, yeah, let's imitate him. Now, if you're worried that he's saying, I'm some kind of perfect standard that you have to meet, don't. I mean, look what he says in verse 12 from last week's sermon. It says, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. And why is it? It's because Christ Jesus has made me his own. He's, he's abundantly clear. Hey, guys, I'm not perfect. I'm a work in progress. But you know what? I still have confidence that I'm following Jesus well. And I have enough confidence to say, if, if you don't know where to start, just look at me. I'm, I'm running after Jesus, and we will run together. Paul also uses a really unique word in the Greek here. Uh, he just kind of jams a conjunction on top of a noun. He, he loves to do that. He just kind of makes up words at times. Uh, and this one, uh, I think most of our English translations say something along the lines of be uh, imitators or imitate me. Uh, but really what he does is he, he's saying just one word, fellow imitators. Be fellow imitators. Be imitators together of the way that I am following Christ. And so what, what does that mean? That means that some people are out there and they're doing it well at that church in Philippi. So if they've seen me in my, in my walk with Christ, look to them. Be united together. Don't, don't fracture over things that don't matter. Be united in our pursuit of our common Savior. And again, if you're like me, again, I was reading this text this week, and I just had an alarm going off in the back of my head. I was saying, there's too many examples of, of toxic leadership, of, of people saying, follow the person, not the Savior. I mean, there, there's so many times where we've seen this go wrong. But again, Paul, he walks the walk. He, he backs up his belief with proper action. We, we know that he carries this up to his last breath. He was proclaiming Christ. He was, he was telling people of his Savior. So we know that his, his belief and his actions were proper and good for us to imitate. This makes me think of a camp that I volunteer at most summers in Austin. It's a week-long camp where we gather about a thousand uh, rising high school seniors, so uh, some people that just finished their junior year of high school, and we get to run around all over uh, the University of Texas's campus. It's a, it's a beautiful campus. I really enjoy it, um, but I can tell you, uh, like most college campuses, um, it's got its weird, unique little, you know, back roads or back alleys or kind of weird spaces between um, between the buildings. So this is a picture of us. Am I doing everything all right? I think I'm all right. Um, 
this is just us uh, moving around uh, on campus. And you realize, as a counselor, you have a lot of responsibilities, but really your most important one is just to get people from A to B, get people from building to building in one piece, right? And so, again, on a college campus where you're not really sure what you're doing, those first couple years that you're at it, you have this task, and you have all these young guys that you're saying, all right, follow me, we'll get to where we need to go. But secretly, you're like, I have no idea where I'm going. I am completely lost here, and, and I can speak to that personally. My second year there, I was told to get us to the Lyndon B. Johnson Library, a huge presidential library. Like, you can't miss that on a college campus. And in all of my confidence, I got us just in time to the LBJ conference room, which is not the same place. It's about two miles away. We had to hurry over. It was, it was a big mess, right? Now, you could just kind of plot ahead and learn after several years of, oh, I know which roads to go or I know which paths to take. But you know what the really easier one is? It's in those first couple years to find a counselor that's been doing this longer than you and saying, hey, can I follow you? Can, can I get behind you guys and just make sure that we get at the same place together? That's the easier way. And, and for us as Christians, it's the same thing. The, the greatest way for us to learn how to walk that well-traveled path is to seek out the experience and the guidance and wisdom of others. It's to imitate the godly. So what does that mean in a local church like this? Well, it's, I mean, a simple one is to say, Who's been here for a while? Who, who's someone that I could look around and say, you know, what are the rhythms? How do, you know, how do you guys handle worship? Or, or what's, your, what's your view on the Bible? Or things like that. That's a great place to start. Maybe a, look for some context clues. Maybe they've got a Bible that's just frayed and falling apart because, not because they don't take care of it, but because they're using it so much, because they're constantly opening God's Word. Maybe that's someone you should look at. Maybe just maybe, they might have more gray hairs than you. I, no, well, okay, I'm not going to establish the gray hair to godliness thing. Uh, that, that, that won't work. But what, I'm, what I am saying is there are people who are elder, who are older than you, maybe not in years, but in maturity of walking after Jesus. Find those people. Ask their stories. Hear how Jesus has been the hero of, your, of their story so you can more celebrate and more purely run after Jesus, who's the hero of your story as well. And this isn't just some sort of upward relationship. This isn't, I need to find someone for me. We also need to realize that the call to be uh, Christian and uh, godly men and women is to turn around and pour into other people that are around us. You know, use this as an opportunity. Is, Is there someone that the Holy Spirit is putting on your heart to share your faith with, to share your story with? Maybe there's someone that you could just spend a little time opening your Bibles and reading together. Or maybe there's someone you could talk about your week, talk about your story, talk about you know, uh, things that you want to pray about. If you can't tell, I'm, I'm laying out the conceptual groundwork for what we do every week in our small group ministries um, or what we do in our three-by-five groups. Or really, in another way, um, Sarah will appreciate this, this is partly of what we do back in Grace Kids. I mean, we're spending time, it, it's not just childcare back there. It's not just, you know, babysitting so y'all can come to real church. It's churches happening back there because we're telling these, these little kids, look, Jesus is the hero. Jesus is the greatest part of our story, and we want to follow him. Follow us with him, all right? And so um, the, the, other, I, the other benefit or the other um, you know, joy that we have when it comes to walking together, imitating the godly, being with godly men and women, is that it gives us a chance to have some accountability in our lives. In a world that kind of wants to, you know, eschew, did I say that right, to get, to get rid of accountability or, or not have that be a part of their lives, this is a great chance to say, hey, I get it. You're running after Jesus. You're giving it everything you got, but just turn a little bit to the left, you know, just a little bit of a course correction. Or it might be someone to say, hey, don't give up. Don't get tired. Let's keep running after him. Don't stop. This is worth. Look who's at the end. Let's keep running after Jesus. Or it might be the really hard conversation. It might be the one that's saying, 
I love you. I don't know what's gone on, but you're going the wrong direction. You're, you're, it's 180 degrees. We need, to, we need to completely turn around and say, look who's at the end. You know, that's that idea of repenting, of turning and looking who's at the finish line. Let's run after our Savior together. As I was thinking through this, this, this gave me the idea of what happened in the book of Galatians when, when Paul refers to an incident where he kind of confronts Peter. You know, Peter's refusing to eat with some Gentile believers because it breaks Jewish customs on, you know, who to eat with or cleanliness and all that. And Paul, who is a younger Christian, is willing to give him that accountability and say, no, 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 we, we, we don't do that. Look, what, what was the biggest problem? He said, I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. If you break down those Greek words into English, it's literally, I saw he wasn't straight walking. And so that's that idea of having you know, accountability, whether it's us or whether it's the founding generations of the church. We need people that are willing to speak truth to us, even if it's not easy. Because why is that? Because their love for us comes out of their love for Jesus. And if we share a common bond, a common love for our Savior, that's what makes Christian fellowship and Christian community so important. So that's the first idea. We need to imitate the godly if we're going to walk that well-traveled path. But what happens if that path is, or, or that walk looks right? It, it, it looks like it might be secure, but we realize something's, something's not right underneath the surface. Well, that's going to bring up our second point. Second point of three. Don't worry, Dave's not here, but we're going to do three points. Um, and that's the, the second idea is to beware of the flesh. Beware the flesh. So let's read in verse 18 and see what Paul means by that. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. So Paul describes someone that's walking, okay? The the verb there is the exact same as that we saw in the previous verse. And throughout most of his letters, Paul uses the idea of walking as like this all-encompassing idea of living out the Christian life. It's, It's praying, it's fasting, it's community. All of that falls under the idea of walk. So he uses the word walk here, and so it, we're, we're, we're probably discussing someone that has some sort of like at least verbal or public profession of faith in Christ. But look, it, if you really start going down a little bit further, you realize like there's something rotten or there's something ugly underneath the surface here. Look how he describes them in the next verse. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with mindset on earthly things. So what makes, what makes this walk insincere? It, it's the very simple idea. We see that the words of their, their God is their belly and they glory in their shame. And so just for some quick context, he might be referring to a, a pagan worship ceremony that went on in the city that you know, called for you know, some either food or sexual gluttony. Um, and, and he's saying, hey, we, we realize that that is obviously not in line with the gospel. But the bigger principle here is simple. They're selfish. They're self-centered, they're self-focused, they're self-worshipping. So their minds, their minds are wrapped on the things of the world, and it means that they're blinded. They can't see Jesus for who he truly is. If you don't believe the Holy Spirit speaks, even in daily Bible readings this morning, I was in uh, Psalm 36, and again, it's just hammered home again. It says, the NIV says, in their own eyes, they flatter themselves too much to detect or hate their sin. That's the problem of being self-centered. It's saying, I, I'm too busy worshiping myself. I don't have time for this so-called Savior as Jesus. Now, again, these people might be saying that they're in the G, they're team Jesus with us, but this sounds like really harsh language, right? 
But we, again, we need to realize if, if faith is only for show, if, if it's only for the people around us, that's not, where, that, that, that's not a proper end. You know, the word end there, is, it's kind of unique. We've seen it in Philippians several times. Uh, by itself, it's the word telos or telos. Um, every other time in the book, he's jammed something on the front or the back end, so it, it translates a little differently in, in English. We usually get something like perfect or complete or mature, but here it's, it's just the word telos. There's no ambiguity about it, and so the English translation is easy. It's end. It's, it's final result. It's, it's destination. And what is the end for those who have a public show of faith but not a genuine one? It's destruction. It's separation from God. It's, it's time away from the one who made us and the one who redeemed us. And what's the final result of that? What, what, what is the end? Or, or why is this the case? It's because they're an enemy of the cross. Again, they might say the proper things, but selfishness of this type puts you at odds with the selflessness of God. If we only trust in our ability to gather and experience pleasure, then the sacrifice and the selflessness of Jesus is going to remain a foreign language to us. You know, Jesus might be a lot of things to these people here. He might be, you know, an inspiration. He might be a friend. He might be the answer to some Bible trivia. But without knowing your own selfishness, without knowing the need you have for him, he can't be your savior. That's why we need to realize constantly our need for Jesus as our Savior. So can y'all think of any ways that that materializes today in, in our modern time or in our own lives? Are there, are there parts of your life that you say, God, I love you, but I'm going to take a break from following you because I really want to experience this. I want to spend time doing this. You know, the idea of God being in our bellies leads you quickly to the image of food, right? And, and yes, there's a bigger principle behind this but it's not less than, you know, this idea of gluttony or, or overeating. You know, um, overeating or, or finding too much satisfaction in food, it, it runs contrary to the biblical principle of, of self-control and discipline. That's why I'm comfortable saying fasting, a, a period of time without food or without, you know, technology or, or whatever it is, that, that's not something that just people in the Bible did. That's something that you and I can practice today as a way to say, you know what, God, you've given me everything I need. So I can go without for a little while because I want to spend time focusing on you. What is it you're speaking to me in your word? How, how can I listen in silence and hear you speak in, in, in ways that I need to hear? But again, uh, another uh, kind of another bigger picture, uh, you know, one of those bigger principle ideas that I saw was um, the longer I started working once I got out of the military or once I got out of college and went into the military was kind of a worship of the, this time off idea. You know, um, we we love to say that. You know, our two days in between those five-day periods of where we're working, like, that's, that's quote, my time. That's, that's the time that I've earned, and we start to make it this sacred moment where it's all about whatever we want to experience. But you know what? That, that time off, it might, be, it might be a Saturday and Sunday on a weekend. It might be a summer vacation. It might be even a retirement. You know what? All of those things share something. They fall under what God has created and what God has given us. Those are gifts from God, and we need to spend our time saying, God, how is it I can use that time to glorify you? How can I use that time to serve in your kingdom? Now, again, I want to caution. Please don't mistake me as saying you know, things like rest and fun and vacations and retirements are anti-Christian. I'm not saying that. 
We, we obviously need and are called to rest as we kind of adjust our, our work-life balancing because it shows a trust in Jesus' ability to do what we can't. And the idea of retirement, I mean, we, we understand that we need to readjust our work-life balance as, as we get older and our, and our bodies slow down. That's okay. But what, what I am saying is if those things become a vehicle just for us to serve ourselves rather than to serve God, that's where we've missed the mark. That's where it's become too much about us and not about our Savior. So we need to say that, God, where, where are those times, where are those moments that I'm tempted to worship my own comfort, my, my own uh, happiness, versus those times that I can use to serve and honor you. We need to say, God, where are those moments that I can redeem because why? Because you have already redeemed me. So those are the first couple of ideas. Uh, Those are the first couple of principles as we work through this text. So we get to our last couple verses. As As we walk this path to Jesus, again, we stay focused on him. That means we need to imitate the godly men and women around us. And then that means we need to beware the flesh and, and the pitfalls of worshiping ourselves. So what is it that Paul's been doing? He's kind of been giving us the examples or the things to do or not do, and now he's going to give us the grounding or the, or the, the reason behind that. This is often called an indicative and an imperative relationship. Uh, you see it a lot in the New Testament. And really all it is is saying, because A is true, go do B. Or, or you know, because this is so, let this follow. And that's all Paul's doing. The only thing is he, he's flip-flopped them. So we've been going through the things to do or not to do, and now we're going to go into the, the guiding truth or the principle behind it. So the third point, our last point, is going to be to live out your citizenship. To live out your citizenship. Let's read in verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body, by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So what's Paul doing here? Well, I mean, if you know any of your Roman Empire history, I mean, citizenship in the Roman Empire and in a city like Philippi, like, that was a big deal. That, that, that was very important to them. It, it gives you a sense of importance of where you're from or even your birth, kind of your identity. And, and uh, you, you, want, you want to be part of a kingdom or you want to be part of an empire that's the biggest and baddest around. You want to have the strongest government, the strongest military that everyone else fears because you feel safe, right? And all Paul is doing here, he's tapping into that basic human desire for security and importance and worth, and he's saying, no, no, no. Remember, you guys, you have a new citizenship now. You, you have a new place that you call home, and, and you have a new ruler that's over your life, right? <clears throat> you, you might be part of the greatest nation, the greatest state, the greatest empire the world has ever known with the strongest military that we've ever seen. Does that sound familiar to anyone here today? Yes. I mean, a lot of common similarities between us and the Roman, Roman Empire at, the, at that time. But we need to realize by following Christ, we have a new nature. We, we, we have a new nation. We have a new citizenship that, that is implied by following Christ. There's one more really unique word here in Greek. Uh, it's called polituma. And so we probably translate it as citizenship or, uh, you know, your, some sort of national identity. Uh, and again, I don't want to spend too much overly analyzing one specific word because you can, you know, go way off really quickly. But it, it kept bringing me back to this idea of living out the truth of the gospel. The other time that we see the, the polis or a political kind of root word is earlier in chapter 1 where Paul says, live out your life in a manner worthy of the gospel. 
And so as I was think, thinking and studying through this, I came up to the idea of like an ambassador. You know, what, what, who is an ambassador? What are they called to do? So I grabbed a picture here, um, and I, I challenged the 9 o'clock. No one won. Uh, if anyone can tell me who this is, I will give you a high five between now and communion. No? Okay. Uh, this is Yuri Kim, and she is the current U.S. ambassador to Albania. So don't say you didn't learn anything today. Um, and what is her job? What is her job as an ambassador for our nation? It's, it's, to, it's to go to a foreign land, and, and it's to conduct business and represent your people, your native land, on behalf of them to another a foreign area. That's what our heavenly citizenship, and that's what our ambassadorship from heaven is meant to be. We, we work in and we obey the places that we find ourselves but we remember, we're on a diplomatic mission from Christ. We're, we're called to be his kingdom builders here on earth. And while we work, what, what does it say? We, we eagerly await the return of our Savior. I wish tomorrow we could say, all right, the work's done. Jesus is back. Let, let's go home. But until then, we have the work that he has given us. We never stop working for our Savior, but we never stop waiting for him either. And then Paul says uh, something unique in, in verse 21. He says, that part of God's work in this world or part of God's redemption in this world is going to involve an actual physical transformation into glorified bodies. Now, what in the world are we talking about here? That, that is, it's this idea that is used in, in the book of Acts and in, in some of the Gospels and in some of Paul's letters. He's talking in, in biblical language about the change, the physical change that Jesus' body experienced in between the resurrection and when he ascended into heaven. There was something physically different there. We know he ate food, and they could physically touch him, but also, like, he could go through doors, and, and like, there were some really incredible things. So what Paul is saying, and, and this isn't a one-off thing. He says this in 1 Corinthians 15. The bodies that you and I have right now, those are not the ones that are going to go into heaven. You know, blood and flesh and bone is not what's going to reach into heaven. It's these glorified bodies that, that Jesus is going to change us into, and that is part of his redemptive work. In bigger picture, what is the redemptive work of Jesus? Is when we call Jesus a redeemer, the big idea that we never lose sight of is he redeemed us from our sins by taking those sins on himself, going to the cross, and dying the death that was meant for us. And now it's up to those who, who, who trust in that work that he did there that are made and redeemed into proper relationship with God. But this shows that some of that redemption, a part of that redemption, involves a physical change. Do you notice the unique thing versus, uh, what was it, verse 19? He says, hey, you over here that have a little God that's trapped in your belly, guess what? I have a God that made my body, that can transform my body. I have a God that is way bigger than you could ever imagine. And specifically, he gives that power to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a specific Christian argument that Jesus is God. And he's saying Jesus is part of the triune God. He's Father, Son, he's the Son, and the Spirit, you know, three persons in one uh, one being, that's the idea of the Trinity, the triune God. So as part of that, we understand Jesus was there at creation. He created us. He has ruled over us. He has redeemed us, and he continues to rule over us. So again, <clears throat> how, how in the world are we going to be able to apply something like that, the, the redemption or the citizenship that we have by nature of following Jesus? Well, the first one is just simple. It's, it's remember that. Don't lose sight of that truth. Christians are citizens of heaven who happen to live on earth. They are not, they're not earthly citizens who have some sort of heavenly affiliation. That, that means that we support the governments and, and the, the authorities that God has placed over us, but we never lose sight. We never forget the fact 
that we have a higher and a more ultimate authority that we have to answer to. But more specifically than just remembering an idea or a principle, what is the work of the ambassador? I think it's twofold. I think the first one is to seek out the miraculous. And and what do I mean by miraculous? Some people might think, uh, you know, we're going to raise the dead, we're going to speak different languages, we're going to pick up vipers, I think that's in Mark. You know, we're going to do all these incredible things that show the miraculous work of God. But really... I think it's easier if if you, again, if you go talk to these mature Christians, they're going to tell you the greatest miracle they've ever seen was God making them a Christian. It was God saying, you're one of mine. And the longer and longer we go, we're going to say, God, I was this, I was this low. I was this terrible. And yet you said you wanted me to be one of your children. That's the incredible miracle. You know, it's, it's, and it wasn't due to any sort of worth. It wasn't due to any sort of potential that God saw in them. It was, it was just the love and the mercy and the grace of Jesus that did that miraculous work that brought us from, not from physical, but from spiritual death to spiritual life. Now, how exactly does God accomplish the miraculous? Well, that's the second part. As Christians, part of our work is when we seek out the miraculous, how do we do it? I call it doing it through the outstandingly ordinary things. You, again, go ask a mature Christian, how does God save people? It's through the outstandingly ordinary means of people that are praying for those lost souls, people that are serving others who might, who might not know Jesus because they want that person to experience the love of Christ. It's, it's giving time. It's giving, it's giving finances. It's giving all these other things that the world places security in. It's saying, those aren't worth it because I want to run after Jesus. The outstandingly ordinary means is how God accomplishes the extraordinary ends of bringing people uh, from spiritual life to spiritual death, to bringing them into the family so we can call them brothers and sisters in Christ. That is the work of ambassadors, and that is how we live out the citizenship that God has given us. So as we wrap up today, you know, again, we, the bigger picture idea throughout this sermon series has been risk everything. Risk everything when it comes to running after Jesus, or in this case, to, to walking the, the well-traveled path of faithfulness. And we need to be comfortable with the idea of we're going to risk everything. We're going to risk what the world would call, quote, the good life, right? It's not going to be easy to follow Jesus. And, and you know what? When We don't want risk to be some hypothetical concept. We need to be prepared to actually lose it if that's the case. You know, we might lose relationships because we're going to say, you know what? My relationship with Jesus is more important. We might lose some level of financial security because we're going to say, Supporting the work of God's kingdom is more important than supporting my own earthly kingdom of pleasure or, or, you know, extravagance. We might lose cultural relevance because the teachings and the ethics of Jesus are going to run counter to what the world would define, you know, as truth or love or right or wrong. And that's okay. We can risk all of that. We can even lose it because we say knowing Jesus is so much better. In fact, I'm going to spend the rest of my time, Christians are, spent, are meant to spend the rest of their time telling others of the beauty of their Savior, of knowing Him, of being in relationship with Him. And our hearts need to be soft for those people. We're not harsh towards those. We, we need to have hearts that are willing to be soft, or even hearts that are willing to be broken, to be in tears for those who don't know Jesus as their Savior. They could have everything else. They could have, they could have the good life. But what does Paul say earlier in chapter 3? It's nothing. It's rubbish. It's trash if they don't know Jesus as their Savior. Christians can show the world that walking the very unique but well-traveled path of obedience is the good life. Again, it's knowing God by being in relationship with Him. It's worshiping Him 
with his people. Not just for an hour here, or not just for an hour in a small group, but it's reorienting our entire lives to be a way to honor the God who made us and the God who rules over us. And then finally, it's hoping for the future. It's joining in John's cry at the end of Revelation, after the entire book of the Bible. Do you know how it ends? It ends with John saying, Come, Lord Jesus, we want you here. We want to experience your presence, your reign, and your glory. That's the hope. So let's keep walking towards it. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right, well, I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll uh, finish up the service. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you have made us your people. I I thank you that we um, are are, are running after you, walking after you, um, with brothers and sisters that keep us accountable and, and point us to the hope that we always have in you. God, I pray for those people who don't yet know you. Let our hearts be soft for them. Let our hearts break for them and find ways that we can share with the world how beautiful you are as our Savior. God, we want the world to rejoice in having you as Lord, not rebel against it. And God, finally, we just we thank you for the chance to now celebrate an act of communion, an act of remembering the death that you were willing to offer for us that should have been meant for us. Um, but God, we, we are just grateful for this chance to worship you and then to go out and show people what it is to follow you. God, we love you so much. We trust you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.